thanks for being patient, Megan. Good <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I just, uh, I'm crazy busy and I was not realizing I was going to have to log in and all of those things, but here we are. So that's the important part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you're busy, eh? What, what are you up to? Oh, Lord. I mean, I'm always extremely busy. Um, I mean, I have two podcasts now, one of which is the YouTube show. I'm still running Feminist Current. Uh, I have the Substack. Feminist Current is my website. Um, and I do freelance writing still. I'm still working on my... I'm rewriting a manuscript. Um and I do everything myself. So <laughs> I think that people assume, and this is true of most people, so it's that's fair to assume, but I think most people assume that um, people who do podcasting and YouTube and all that stuff have like producers and assistants and editors. <laughs> and I don't have any of those things. I'm all of those jobs. <laughs> it's just, so it's just Megan, you have, you have, a dozen invisible hands. They do all the work. Yeah, the Megan Murphy show. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And yeah. the, was I on the YouTube show or was I on the Feminist Current when I did your show? I think it was in November. You were on the a same drug. So that's the, the oh, newer okay. podcast and YouTube show. Um, okay. So Feminist Current is... I've been running that website and doing that podcast for 10 years now. Um <laughs> But obviously, it's just focused on, you know, feminism and women's issues. And I wanted to expand beyond that. So that's why I started the same drug so I could talk about other things <laughs> that I'm interested mm. in and talk to different kinds of people and expand my horizons and learn new things and so on and so forth. So mm. I really enjoy it all. But uh it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. And how's that going in terms of growth? Are you happy with where you're at in terms of like income generating enough subscribers, enough views? How's how's that all going? Um, I mean, it's fine. I'm making a living, which I think is good. Um, I mean, I had to let go of. I, I perhaps ironically, I had a more secure income and sub subscriber base when I was just doing Feminist Current. Um, and partly because I was able to focus on that more wholly as though it was a full-time job. And then I was obviously always doing sort of freelance stuff on the side. Um, but now I have many more jobs, as it were. So there's that. But I, you know, like when I expanded beyond feminism and started moving away from the left and started talking about that. So when I started talking about issues that I had with feminism, issues that I had with ideology in general, um, when I started being more critical of the left, I was always critical of the left, but I was of the left. Um, so I was a socialist who was criticizing other socialists <laughs> and I was a feminist who was criticizing other feminists and that I started fun. to, <laughs> I've never been popular, not once. <laughs> no, I mean, I've had a lot of support from, um, you know, more radical feminists and second wave feminists. Um, but within popular feminism and within the left, I've always been pretty controversial. Um, but yeah, so people got pretty mad at me. Like, they were mad that I was doing something different. They were mad that I was saying different things than what they were used to me saying. Like, it's it's strange to me because I'm not like this, but apparently lots of other people are. Like, they, they kind of like to hear the same thing over and over and over again. Like, to me, I find that boring. I find it intellectually boring. Like... I want to be challenged and I want to challenge myself and I want to, you know, think differently. And yeah, again, I want to learn new things and I want to hear different perspectives and I want to change my mind if changing my mind means that I'm taking a more truthful or accurate or productive approach or perspective. Um, 
but people, a lot of people who'd followed me for a long time seemed to want me to keep doing the same thing and saying the same thing. And to me, I was like, you know, I don't want to keep repeating myself over and over again. So if I've already said what I have to say about something ad nauseum, I'm probably going to move on to other things. And I also started to feel like I was saying things that weren't meaningful anymore. Like I started to be like, wait, like when I'm saying, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and like misogyny, like, you know, what do I mean by those things? Like, what am I criticizing? Like, what do I want? Like, what am I talking about? Like, you within these political movements and these ideologies, I think you're taught to, you know, repeat after me. And then at a certain point, I started to realize that a lot of that, those mantras and statements were pretty empty. And I didn't necessarily even believe that anybody knew what they meant. Like, I was like, do I know what I mean when I'm saying that? Like, I want to start using more plain language that actually makes sense to regular people and that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so long story short, um I mean, I'm working a lot a lot more for probably a little bit less money, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I am making a living. I'm certainly not getting rich off of this by any means, but um I'm working my way up slowly. It's it's hard to build an audience. It's hard to to grow um organically when you don't have you know, help with branding and marketing and all those things. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like I I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at and I've been really lucky and blessed to have been connected with Rogan who's now had me on twice. And so that's obviously helped me grow my audience a lot. He's yeah. been very generous. I was just, I was just with his platform. I was thinking yeah. about that. Was there, was there significant increase in your audience, like Substack subscribers or podcast viewers, subscriptions overall after uh, yeah. Rogan appearances? I mean, the last one especially. I mean, the first time my, my Instagram following probably doubled and then it doubled mm. again the last time I went on. You know, I went from 14,000 followers to 30,000 followers almost. And I think I'm at like 29 now. Um, and I got tons more Substack subscribers because he promoted that on the show. So, so that's great. And I mean, his followers are, are wonderful. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're not all wonderful, but the amount of DMS and messages and comments that I've received from people who saw me on Rogan this, this most recent time, um, and was it June now? Yeah, it was just last month. Um, you know, I just, it was hundreds and just so many people who were appreciative of a woman speaking plainly, I think. (laughs) Like, I think that's part of it is just that I'm just being myself and I'm telling the truth um, and not mincing words. And I think people are desperate for that. Like, I think people are desperate for truth and authenticity these days. Yeah. And also just the entertainment from watching your sadistic pleasure over feeding Rogan this toxic poisonous alcohol (laughs) seeing his his face afterwards and seeing you laugh afterwards I was I I laughed a lot at that both podcasts and watching (laughs) Jamie's reaction it's like wow Megan's just going for it just feeding the guys this gasoline fuel that's what it seems to be maybe maybe I should try it I don't know but it was you'd probably hate it very funny yeah I probably would to be fair <laughs> Most it. people don't like it. I genuinely really like it's called Ricea and it's it's Mexican moonshine and it's moonshine that's specific to the state of Jalisco um and Nayarit. So I'm I'm in Nayarit and Jalisco is is right next to me. Um but I mean it's similar it's re- it's very similar to mezcal and it comes from the agave plant but you know it's a centuries old tradition and it's a very strong alcohol <laughs> and um yes. it's so i mean even most people here think i'm a crazy person because of how much i love Rysia. and i don't really like it's not like i just love booze you know like i really don't like vodka i really, really don't like gin that, i don't like tequila 
No, it's like, I mean, I like, I don't like drinking, but there's very specific alcohols that I enjoy. Yeah, you know, I'm not right. just drinking to, to just yeah, anything that will get me wasted. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like rum. Yeah. Like I don't like tequila, which is strange because everybody here likes tequila. I like some mezcals, but I don't love it. But for whatever reason, like rice, <laughs> I really love. It. And, uh, and I, so I genuinely like last time I went on Rogan, I was like, okay, I, I gave him the wrong impression of Alicia. I'm going to bring three different kinds of Ricea and I'll I'll show him how great Ricea really is. But I made the mistake of the first one that I brought was, you know, literal moonshine because obviously now Ricea has, you know, been branded and is being sold legally by some people. Um, I think and then there's free advertisement, by the way. I think there's yeah, oh. a surge or, or or who knows, maybe a decline in sales. No, a big time surge. Like people, oh, okay. people message me all the time from all over the world. Like, where can I get Ricea? Where can I get Ricea? And I'm oh, like, wow. I don't know, at the top of a mountain in Jalisco, like Yalapa. You should be an <laughs> they, they should pay you. You should hit them up. Be like, hey, I just advertised your booze for you free on <laughs> the Joe Rogan podcast twice. You should pay me for this. Yeah, well, people have contacted me at offering to send me bottles, so I'm waiting on that, which is great. I actually, to be oh. perfectly honest, I'm I'm looking into starting my own Ricea brand over here, so I'm oh, working wow. on it. Okay. <laughs> this is my, well, as if I need more work to do. <laughs> send me a bottle when it happens, and then I'll send you a hateful message afterwards about <laughs> my, my mouth being traumatized from this poisonous substance. Will do. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely do that. Um, yeah, so you were saying your your Substack numbers went up after the, the Rogan yep, experience? Yep, yep, that helped yeah. a lot. I mean, you Good. know, it's been hard. Like, it seems silly, and a lot of people think it's silly when I talk about being banned from Twitter, but it had a huge impact on my ability to share and promote my work. And, you know, my I felt like my my voice was erased from the conversations in a lot of ways only because people are so, these are where so many of these conversations about culture and politics are happening. Yep. They're happening on Twitter. You know, it doesn't happen in the same way on Facebook or Instagram or any other social media platform. And so if you're not there, you're, you're a bit erased. Um, and, and yeah, and it's quite, it's hard to share your work. I had to, start from from scratch when I was banned in 2018 because I didn't have a public Facebook profile. I didn't have a public Instagram. Mm -hmm. I didn't wasn't doing anything with my YouTube channel. So I was pretty dependent on Twitter as a platform and then I was gone and I sort of had to to start over a bit again. And you know, that's just because like I don't want to spend all my time on social media. Like I want to work. Yeah. I want to get my work done and I want to live my life, you know, like I have other, I I want to go to the gym and I want to see my friends and I want to, you know, relax and <laughs> be on the computer drink. all the time. Yeah. Drink, drink Yeah, I exactly. want to go out to the bar and drink Mexican <laughs> moonshine. Um, so, yeah. you know, so that's why I didn't have, I mean, it, it perhaps was unwise, but I was like, I don't want to spend time like, online all the time like I had private profiles for like personal stuff and shared my work there a little bit but I wasn't trying to grow those those platforms or build an audience in those places so that that was challenging also um but yeah I mean <laughs> I wish that I had you know an extra 24 hours in every day but um yeah other than that I I, I do I do feel blessed like I'm I'm very grateful mm -hmm. that I can make a living doing this stuff that I really enjoy and feel passionate about. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that I can work online, you know, like I was able, thank God, I was able to leave Canada and move to Mexico and I'm much happier here. And that's because yeah. of, I would just okay. work for myself. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to all of that. I want to dig deeper into that. But first of all, about the Twitter thing, you're, you're right. It is, I think the place where I get the most amount of traction um, mm -hmm. when it comes to a lot of the writing I'm doing right now with regards to vaccine mandates and vaccine adverse events and whatnot. Um, it's, it's, it's really important. Even just like retweets from 
from people that I know, like it really, really helps. Like that's the main driver of new subscribers for me. It is Twitter. Mm-hmm. So to ha- so to not have that platform available to be banned from it, definitely that would be a big blow for me if, if I were to put myself in your shoes. So I, I fully uh, empathize with you there. And uh, in terms of what's, there's been a lot happening on Twitter over the past uh, week. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I don't want to linger on it too much, but I did want to get your thoughts on that quickly. Um, that there's some good news and there's some bad news. The bad news was first that Jordan Peterson got kicked off. Mm, I saw for, that, right. For saying something that was, um, you know, not, not, I think, like the most important uh, issue or thing to talk about right now. Like, especially it's just, it's about one person. And the, the way he said it um, in a kind of furious way, um, but but still, the the, the ban was um, egregious in my opinion, and di- didn't make any sense given the the way that Twitter discriminates in terms of their uh, their, their uh, censorship policies. And then Dave Rubin tweeted uh, tweeted a response um, to that and critiqued Twitter for banning Peterson, and then he got banned. And now he's, oh my he's God. back this morning because he he deleted the tweet. Um, yeah, he deleted the tweet and then he just got back on uh, this morning. I was just on his show uh, this morning talking about um, some other stuff. But, but, but that happened. And then the, the, the really good news is Alex Berenson. Are you familiar with him at all? Yeah, you know, actually, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look at the tweet, but my brother-in-law just sent me, I saw an email from him earlier. I didn't even have time to open it. I haven't had a chance to go through my emails yet today. Um, but he actually emailed me this tweet. I, and I am familiar with Alex um, because I really appreciate his work. Um, and I, I um, have followed his work and I saw him on, he was on Rogan, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few times he's been on, yeah. Yeah, so I did. I did see that it. What he what he sued and he won the lawsuit. Is that what happened? Uh, I didn't fully read through all of what happened, but Twitter Twitter acknowledged that they were wrong, and that uh, the suspension was wrongful. They they Crazy. acknowledged that much, and so so yeah, he he did win the lawsuit. Essentially, I, I think he could have pressed them more on certain things, and he's going to uh, press them more on their overall policy and who makes these decisions so it's not over yet um but he's back on he's reinstated because twitter conceded that they were wrong for banning him for a, a few different reasons but but he but for those of you who don't know alex berenson was a former new york times journalist turned like uh covid conspiracy theorist science denialist guy that's how he was caricatured by the media and by mm-hmm major epidemiologists for for ringing the alarms very early on about what was happening with covid um all the way back to the beginning of uh 2020 when he when everybody thought there was going to be like a 10 percent or 20 percent death rate with covid he and there was the um there's a big paper out um showing that that was freaking everybody out and berenson looked into the data and, and he's like whoa whoa hold on guys this is not the major existential threat threat like people are not going to be dropping dead from this the way people think they are and he was he was right about that 100 percent. and then he was right about vaccine myocarditis in young men um which which i'm covering quite a bit and he was right about waning vaccine efficacy um and then that was one of the primary reasons why he was kicked off is he said that the vaccines are essentially doing nothing after six to seven months in terms of combating uh transmission um, of the virus and in terms of preventing infection, there, there is, um, a sustaining effect of preventing like severe illness. Um, although even that's waiting significantly, but he was 100% right about that as every study on vaccine effectiveness is showing hence the, the third booster, the fourth shot and the Canadian, um, health minister saying we, we may need to get boosters every nine months, which is just absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. I, I know you share that on, on your Instagram story, Megan. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So so Alex was posting a lot of those things, which were deemed conspir- cons- conspiratorial at the time, mm-hmm. but later on they turned out to be true. And so he's back on today. So I just wanted to get your thoughts briefly on the the Jordan stuff and and Ruben being kicked off and then getting back on and kind of the good news from Alex Berenson. Yeah, I mean it's so interesting how many of these so called conspiracy theorists turned out to be right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people who 
saw what was going on with COVID early on and the messaging from the government and from health authorities and from the media and, you know, saw that the lockdowns were going to cause more harm than good and and really were punished very harshly for having done so, you know, banned from social media, vilified, censored, so on and so forth. So I'm really glad to hear that Alex got back on and I'm interested to, I just quickly looked at his Twitter and saw that he wrote about it on, on Substack. So I'm looking forward to reading about what happened there and, you know, hopefully there'll be something for me to learn from that in terms of figuring out how I can get back on. Also, I've appealed twice recently. I've appealed a whole bunch of times over the years, but I appealed again when it was announced that Elon Musk was planning to buy Twitter and then another time a couple of weeks mm. later because I never heard back. And I never heard back on either of those appeals. Like I didn't even get a form response. They just didn't respond at all. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I don't know exactly, what was it exactly that Jordan Peterson tweeted that caused him to have his account suspended? Yeah, so it was the, the tweet about... Uh... Elliot Page, Ellen Page, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. He tweeted out, let me just find the exact tweet so I have it in front of me. Uh, yeah, uh, remember when pride was a sin, question mark, and Ellen Page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician. Um, <laughs> when pride was a sin? Huh. Remember when pride was a sin, question mark, and Ellen Page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician. Uh -huh. Now, I, I, would, I wouldn't tweet something like that. And, you know, there's, it, it's a very brief tweet. Um, and he, he's hitting on a few different things there that you could interpret in different ways. Like, with respect to pride pride month and the, the the biblical sin of pride and where and there's some a, a lot of debate you could have about the good the good kind of pride and negative kind of pride and if we've incentivized too much of pride or whatnot there's there's a lot there but yeah he says and ellen page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician so he's he's what you would call dead naming he's dead naming her because uh she's a he now elliot page so that it was that that was the uh, main offense. I mean, uh, I, I I think it's totally ridiculous that his account was suspended for tweeting that. I I suppose in some ways I'm glad that at least there's some consistency because I was banned for so-called misgendering, i.e., correctly sexing yeah. a man who was. So, so uh, it was the same offense, right? Yeah, it's you? the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, he was supposedly misgendering a woman who identifies as, as a man. And I had, I, yeah. you know, misgendered a man who is identifying as a woman by calling him he. So, um, I mean, I call Ellen page. She, I refuse to use these so-called correct pronouns. I think that it's a slippery slope. I know some people think it's just being polite, but look where being polite has landed us all. Um, you know, going along with this notion that you can identify as the opposite sex and that trans women are women and trans men are men and that it's extremely important to call men who claim to be women she and that if we don't, there's some kind of, you know, horrific result, you know, that misgendering is violence or abuse or somehow leads to the death of trans identified people, which is all ridiculous. But, you know, going along with that all has led us here where we are today, where we're seeing men compete against women in sport and, you know, seeing men break women's records in cycling. And, you know, it's crazy. And, you know, it, it would be very simple, in my opinion, to just say, if you're male, you're male, you're female, you're female, period. You can dress however you want. Okay, change your name if you want to do that. People are allowed to go through that process of changing their name if they want to. Um, but 
just because you dress like a woman, just because you get surgeries, just because you're on hormones, just because you want to be a woman, um, it doesn't make you a woman. And that's that, you know, lying to people is not helpful. You know, maybe that will make them feel better temporarily, but I don't think it helps them in the long term. And I think it's incredibly harmful on a societal level, especially when we're talking about policy and legislation. You know, it's one thing if it's like your friend who identifies as trans and is now going by Anne. I don't really care if you call that person she. And I probably would too. Like if we were talking one-on-one, I don't feel that it's necessary for me to keep reminding this like he, 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 he. But if I'm, if I'm speaking publicly and we're talking in a legal sense, then it certainly does matter. Um, so I... I do think that it's wrong that Peterson was banned, but I, I'm glad that they're being consistent in some ways because I was a little bit frustrated after I was banned because I saw people saying similar things to what I'd said on Twitter and was punished for. Um, it was leading up to my ban. I, my account was locked down a few times. So I saw, you know, Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and people like that tweeting similar things and not getting banned. And I was, you know, I felt that I was specifically targeted. Um, and I know, I think that in Peterson's case, you know, I wasn't given the opportunity to return to Twitter. They didn't say, if you delete this tweet, you can get your account back. I was banned permanently. And I, I think with Peterson, he was his account was suspended. And they said, if you delete this tweet, you can get back on. And he's refused to delete the tweet, which I respect. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know where we're going to end up here. I think it does depend, you know, unfortunately, I think it depends pretty heavily on whether or not Elon Musk buys Twitter and follows through with his, his commitments towards, towards free speech. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. Um, I, I, I agreed with what, with a lot of what you said there about the trans issue. And I, you know, to, to some extent, it's, I'm just kind of tired of like talking about that issue. And I, I've heard you talk about it. I know what you feel. I know what I feel about it. So I just, to, to some extent, sometimes with these issues, I feel like there's, there's a bit of an overkill sometimes. It's like, let, let's talk about like some other things too, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know. I mean, I started to feel that way a bit too, and sort of went off of the trans issue and wanted to explore other topics. Cause I felt like, yeah. like I talked and written about it. The, so, yeah, you don't want to be just known as like the Twitter banned, you know, person who's realistic about biology and transgender issues. Like you're not just interested in that issue alone. You're right, other, exactly. There's so much that I'm interested in. But also, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not even about just being known for that. It's like I just I get bored of listening to myself talk. You know what I mean? Like if you're just saying the same thing over and over again, and you're like, I already said this. Like, why am I still saying this? I guess so that you know, in case new people are reading it or hearing it or seeing it. But, you know, as people who are, you know, writers and journalists and, you know, people like I'm, I, I think like (laughs) I'm interested in ideas and exploring new ideas and debates and learning again. So, you know, I'm, I want to, I don't want to be siloed in terms of the, the topics that I'm discussing and writing about and exploring. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. It's like, okay, I know where I stand on this, like moving on. It's, it's, yeah. it's really unfortunate that we do need to keep talking about it. And it often feels really silly. Like, I'm like, why do I have to say that a man is a male? This is ridiculous. Everyone knows that, you know, I'm not saying anything original or controversial. I mean, it's treated as such, yeah, but exactly. it's not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, like I, I mean, I, I don't really want to go into this because it's kind of just old territory for me, but I, I, I lean more towards just avoiding grief and avoiding annoyance where I can. So if somebody really wants me to use pronouns, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll go along with it out of just respect, out of just avoiding conflict where I, where I need to. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's not like a gigantic issue at least not yet maybe maybe i don't get out much i don't know but i haven't been forced into many uh conflicts like that where i have to make those decisions um not 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 even once actually 
you know, it's, you know, pronouns too. It's the, you don't address somebody directly with their pronouns either, by the way, like this pronoun thing, right? <laughs> like when you talk to somebody, I'm not saying, Hey, she, she, Megan, or he, Megan, I'm not, I'm, I'm using your name, right? It's it, the pronouns you use when you're talking to somebody else most of the time. Yeah. But any, anyway, um, I was also just going to say about the, the Substack thing with Alex Berenson, who, for those of you listening right now, I, I highly recommend you, you subscribe to his Substack. He's always on top of it, on top of the newest COVID studies showing um, various things about the vaccine, about various repurposed drugs and different countries and their different outcomes. Like he's really on, on top of it. And I think I think his victory, his legal victory today, I think was in large part due to the fact that he has like an insane amount of funding just through Substack alone. Like he, he makes over a million dollars, probably like two or 3 million, but at least a million dollars on Substack. <laughs> from Crazy. Subscriptions. Yeah. He, he makes an insane amount. I, I've, Jesus. Um, I, I'm close with a few people who are close with him. And because there's really a shortage of that kind of reporting, um, yeah. like, like, other than him, there's not many people doing this kind of writing. Um, he just has a crazy amount of, of support there. And so um, I think on top of that, too, I, I think he has several hundred thousand subscribers there. And um, apart from that, too, I know he said that he was filing this lawsuit. So he asked people to contribute to that as well. And so he had, I know, a crazy amount of financial support doing that. And so he was able to then file this lawsuit, whereas ordinary people who don't have millions of dollars might not be able to afford that kind of pursuit. Yeah, I mean, when I sued Twitter, we had to um, fundraise, um, and that was quite difficult. Um, you know, I don't have money to pay lawyers for anything. Every time I've had a legal issue to deal with, I've been helped um you know pro bono so with via the uh justice center for constitutional freedoms they've been extremely supportive and helpful to me and then my lawyers who uh dealt with the twitter lawsuit also but i mean but i i you know i don't know like i don't i'm not a lawyer so i don't know if maybe we took the wrong approach or something like that again I'm, i'll have to look at alex's um substack right up to see what what they did um, in order to be successful. But yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about these lawsuits like that, that, that he won, you know, I think that sort of shows Twitter that they can't get away with everything. And that's sort of what we were hoping to do with my lawsuit also. Um, you know, that to force them to be accountable in some way, because they're not accountable for many years they've been doing whatever they like and getting away with it. And they have not been forced to be transparent about their practices behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I hope the tides turn um, with Elon Musk buying Twitter. Um, I, I hope he's able to hire new people and make more fair decisions. Um, I know he expressed disapproval for Jordan getting kicked off um, on, on Twitter and he also this morning he replied to Alex Berenson and was asking for a little more information surrounding the government pressuring Twitter to mandate certain ideologically, like essentially ideologically discriminatory policies. Because um, Alex alluded to that in his Substack piece. But so so Elon Musk responded to that this morning, saying like, "What do you what do you mean by?" the government's pressuring Twitter to combat like COVID misinformation or other um, policies. And he was saying he's not able to exactly talk about that yet, but the case is still going on. And once he has more information, he'll provide it and figure out what kind of involvement the federal government has with Twitter. I mean, it's, it's not in some sense, we probably won't find something super shocking, but we, we definitely know when it comes to, to COVID especially and, I'm doing a lot of writing about this right now. Like I know actually multiple MDs, PhDs who have just like tweeted a study. Um, one of my uh, friends, Dr. Tracy Beth Hogue, who's a, a top epidemiologist, she just quoted um, a vaccine study showing um, a correlation in Israel between um, EMS calls for cardiac arrests and 
mass vaccination that they found a direct correlation. And she just tweeted out the study, no like judgment or like this is right or wrong, just tweeted it out and she was suspended. And I know many, many scientists and doctors who have experienced that. So it's it's really unfortunate that that's happening, but I think um, the tides may turn with, with Elon buying Twitter. I think so too. So yeah, I mean, so hopefully once that goes through, <clears throat> I'll be able to restore my account and he'll be able to, you know, work on building a platform where people can speak freely and that people's tweets are not dictated by what is currently at the moment politically correct or, you know, goes along with whatever it is that the Democrats and the Canadian liberals and various progressive activists and obviously the the people who are working in big tech want us to say i mean i i can't imagine why anyone at this point would still have faith in or trust the government or the media or health authorities for that matter which is sad because you know that's how you create you, you create conspiracy theorists is you manipulate and you lie and you push propaganda and you refuse transparency and then People don't believe anything you say. You know, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the media. Why would I after all that we've seen over the past couple of years and beyond? It's just that the past couple of years has really, really brought to light in a way that we can't ignore how much these authorities and these institutions are willing to lie to push a narrative, to push a political narrative. Mm. Yeah, I mean... When COVID started, I was more on the left side of it. I was, I was maybe just because of my personality, I'm more of a, an an anxious, fearful kind of person. I was like, let's like, yeah, like lockdown. Yes. Let's protect everybody. Let's try to do everything we can to prevent death, to prevent serious illness. But after a certain point, I, I kind of got red pilled on that. I was like, yeah, but if you actually dig into the numbers and you look at this sweeping lockdowns that is not stratified by age or risk it's like there's clearly more harm to benefit um so that was, I, I really had to change my perspective on that and then now i'm pursuing that more and more with my writing but I, oh me too i mean at first i supported the lockdowns publicly and i criticized the so-called conspiracy theorists and i had yeah, to you know like a few weeks later when i started to realize what was going on and started to realize how harmful the lockdowns would be. I had to come out and say, you know, I was wrong about this. And I, I think that the lockdowns are harmful and I think that, you know, they're doing this wrong and that this is political. Yeah. Yeah. There was a Harvard study that showed there was no correlation between how much a country locked down and how many deaths they had. Like you had, countries all over the place, some that locked down a lot that had very few deaths and some that had a lot of deaths, countries that didn't lock down at all. Some had a lot of deaths, others that didn't. It's, it was all over the place. It was clear that it, this sweeping policy that didn't take into account all the differences within the population was really the wrong way and the financially crippling way of going about things. But yeah, I mean, you take you take evidence and you change your mind on that basis. So what was weird to me is that evidence started to come out to show that the lockdowns didn't work and that the mask mandates didn't work and now that the vaccine mandates don't work. And I mean, from the beginning, I was against the vaccine mandates because, you know, it's, it's unconstitutional. I mean, you can't force people to have medical procedures or take medicine or take pharmaceuticals against their will. I mean, they have to have a choice. Um, but it's strange how much people ignored the evidence. You know, we saw it. We're like, okay, this doesn't work. This is not necessary. This is really harmful to people in a number of ways. And people still hung on and supported the lockdowns. It was very strange. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to talk about a few personal things with you, um, about your mm -hmm. lifestyle, about your work. Um, first of all, are you ever going to come back to Vancouver at some point, or do you just love it in Mexico right now? No, I'm not coming back. No? 
<laughs> well, what about I like mean, friends and, what about like friends and family? Like, were you in general just not as like connected here, or you just found a lot of great people there, or what's what's going on? Um, I mean, I had a lot of friends in Vancouver and friends that are really good friends who I've known for my whole life, as well as like new friends. Um, and I was really connected in Vancouver. I was born in Vancouver, so you know, I lived there for forty years. Uh, my family's on the island now. Um, I did, I did make new friends and meet new people here who I love. Um, so I certainly don't feel lonely or lacking in a social life or, you know, I feel like I have a stronger community here actually than I do in Vancouver, mm. partly just because I live in a small town. And so there is a better sense of community. And I think people are more supportive of one another and more loving towards one another. And there's a sense that we are all operating as a community whereas in places like vancouver i think people see themselves as isolated alienated individuals you know people in vancouver don't know their neighbors um and we think we can just do everything ourselves and partly it's because we can i mean unless the you know something terrible happens (laughs) and there's a natural disaster there's an earthquake something like that but you know we think oh i can just live in my apartment and i can just get uber eats and i can do workout videos online and i can watch netflix and i can have zoom cocktail hours i mean to me that's like a miserable existence but people a lot of people seemed really into that life when the covid lockdowns happened um and you know and i just I'm totally opposed to that. Like I, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time alone and I like spending time alone. You know, I, I work alone, obviously, like I go out to dinner by myself and read and I really like that, but I'm also a social person and I love going out and I love being around people and I love seeing friends and, you know, I love. How's, how's that been in terms of assimilating with people in that specific area of Mexico? Or have you found like a group of friends that you that you're always hanging out with and doing fun things with. And do you, do you feel like you align with them in some, in some way? Totally. I mean, the thing, the interesting thing about here where I live, which is Sayulita, which is sort of, it's about an hour away from Puerto Vallarta. It's a small surf town. We get a lot of tourists, but the actual town itself is, is quite small. And the community is quite small in terms of people who actually live here year round. Um, you know, so I feel like one, people don't really talk about politics that much. People aren't interested in having political debates. People don't pontificate in the way that they do in Vancouver. People are much more authentic and down to earth. Things are slower here. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people who, a lot of people who came here from North America came here during the pandemic because they were very opposed to and worried about and concerned about what was going on in North America and refused to participate. And they were like, nope, I'm out of here. Like, fuck this. Um, And, you know, in order to live in a little janky town in Mexico, you do have to be pretty flexible. Things are not as easy and as accessible in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Mexico is still like a third world country in a lot of ways. Like you can't get a great Wi-Fi connection. The power goes out pretty regularly. Mm. You don't have access to clean running water. <laughs> um, it's, oh, it's, yikes. I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to, buy, you have to buy water, right? You can't drink oh, the water really? in Mexico. No. Um, I was also going to ask where you live too, like with your place. Uh, how is that? Do you have like an apartment or something? Is yeah. I, well, I, I mean, it's, it's again, like it's not in some ways it's a lot less, you don't have the same conveniences that you do in a city. Like I live in a little apartment, um, in like a, it looks like a favela. Like it's like the up a, up a hill and there's about, you know, a dozen, at least other apartments around here. You're sort of pressed up against your neighbors and you know, you're, there's bugs everywhere. There's lizards everywhere, like inside my house and outside, of course, (laughs) you know, you're constantly dealing with like ant swarms and like a million other bugs that I don't even know what they are. (laughs) Like I'm getting bitten by fire ants all the time. I would, I would not like that. I, it definitely takes some getting used to (laughs) lizards, but I assume you might have a greater tolerance. Otherwise 
I do now, time. that's for sure. <laughs> I still you kill should. them all. Like I don't I don't let well the lizards I like actually. I don't mind the lizards, but like the bugs, I'm like on a, a bug hunt twenty four hours a day. Like the amount oh, of bugs geez. that I kill on a daily basis yeah. is a lot. And you know, and we're in the stormy season right now, so there's like heavy rains and, and storms often at night and yeah, and sometimes the power goes out and but I I mean I love it. I like it's we have like total freedom here like and people are very friendly like I love Mexicans I love my friends here um I just I it was really easy to meet people and make friends people are not snobby at all here um and people aren't caught up in appearances at all. You're not dealing with this culture that you are in places like Vancouver where people are so concerned about their social circle and they're so concerned about what other people think and they're so concerned about their social status, which is why so many people lie about their politics. You know, like I don't, I think some people believe what they're saying um, in terms of all these, you know, various hot topics on the left um including gender identity including like race politics around race um including the covid lockdowns and mandates including what they think about trump or what they think about the right what they think about conservatives and i think a lot of people just go along and lie because they don't want their friends to stop being their friends or they don't want to get criticized or attacked on social media and people here really don't seem to care about that at all. So, like, for a really long time, nobody even knew who I was or what I did because it yeah. just never I was came just up. Ask about that. Yeah, like, like these people, I assume they're not going to be highly educated given the place that you live in, and they're you're not going to be talking much about like anything. Like, like, like a lot of these people are just not concerned with like politics or psychology or like these aren't highly educated people, right? Where you're at, so there's much more of a simplicity. Yeah, in some ways, but I mean, there's also, I mean, there's a ton of Mexican locals, but there's also a ton of gringos, like there's a ton of people from Canada and the US here. So yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it's a real mix of people, like there actually is a lot of diversity in terms of the people here, more so than in Vancouver, for sure. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, most people who live here are definitely working class. And yeah, so would not have gone to university and are not you know necessarily super engaged in politics but a lot of people like i i just randomly have had tons of conversations with people here like when i first got here this happened to me where we, we would just start talking and we would see almost immediately that we were aligned in terms of things that we were critical about in terms of you know criticizing woke culture and not going along with the COVID narratives and not going along with all the gender identity stuff. Like uh, most people here that I met were like that. And we were like, Oh, okay. We get it. Like don't super need to keep talking about this. Cause we're obviously on the same page. Like we both follow the same yeah. stuff on, you know, online. We listen to similar podcasts and so right. on and so forth. So, um, so I feel a lot more comfortable here and yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go back. I do want to go back and visit my friends and my family, but it's, it's so, I don't want to go back to Canada. <laughs> I don't like Canada anymore. I don't like what's going on there. And honestly, like it seems so difficult to go back there right now. Like flights are crazy expensive. It seems really, really difficult and stressful to travel in and out of Canada. I've gone back and forth to the U.S. a million times since I've been over here. I go to right. the U.S. probably once a month, and it's super easy. It's still relatively affordable depending on where you're going. Um, but, you know, it's going back to Canada seems like, uh, you know, I'm reading all these things in the news about people being stuck in the airport for like 30 hours and like their flights are canceled over and over and over again and yada, yada, yada. And moreover, like I cannot figure out what's going on with these vaccine mandates. Like it seems like they're they're saying now to be fully vaccinated, you have to have been boosted a certain amount of times. And I just I don't want to go back and then be like, Oh, do you like they claim to have dropped the vaccine mandates, but they I don't think they actually have because as I understand it, you still have to quarantine for 14 days if you're if you travel and you're not like fully vaccinated, whatever that means. So I'm just like, 
fuck this. Like, I, I, I don't want to deal with this. Like, hopefully people can just come visit me here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 The bureaucracy is just like hell here. There's so many conflicting messages and so many different rules you have to follow. It's, I, I, I totally feel you why you don't want to come here. It's, it's completely understandable. But at the same time, we need people like Megan Murphy here. We need, we need the dissidents. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just saw somebody in the room chat say, do you have to avoid certain areas in CDMX? So I've actually, I've only been, since I've been living here in Sayulita, I've only been to CDMX once. I love it. I love Mexico City. Mexico City is amazing, but I just, I don't want to live in a city ever again. I don't think I like visiting cities, but I found, it's funny because I went, when I went to Austin to do Rogan and to do my event, like I loved it. I loved Austin and I was like, I would totally like, come here all the time or even like live here part-time if I'm ever in a you know financial situation to be able to do that but when I got back home to Sayulita I just instantly felt so relaxed everything I was like oh, quiet which is a funny thing to say because it's not a quiet town it's a really loud crazy chaotic town and there's always like I mean there's dogs everywhere there's roosters everywhere there's like people yelling there's like banda people party all night like there's you know, there's thunderstorms, there's like, I don't know, fire, like there's just all, always <laughs> stuff going on. But I was like, ah, quiet, relaxed, everything's slow, everything's normal. Like I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm not into the city life so much anymore. But regarding Mexico City, I mean, Mexico City is beautiful, but yeah, there's definitely parts that you do not want to go to ever. Yeah. <laughs> there's That's... parts that are super nice and bougie and amazing. And there's amazing restaurants and people are beautiful and they're well-dressed and like, it's super, the culture is amazing. The architecture is amazing. It's, I love Mexico City, but there's just, yeah, there's only certain parts that you want to go to and the other parts you definitely don't want to go to. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's what I was gonna, gonna, first off, it's very nice to be talking to you. I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, but, uh, so it sounds like Mexico city is, is, you know, you have to, I get the impression that if you couldn't tell I'm half, half Cuban, half Hispanic. So I love Latin culture. I love going, try to immerse mm -hmm. myself as much as possible. Um, every single time I've been to, especially Mexico, um, uh, Mexico city, and I've been to like Merida and some other places, um, uh, I Medida was actually super safe, but I just am curious more broadly to get people's feeling for um, just how safe they feel. Because you know, you there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on, but at at the same time, you it's also a great place. So um, it would just would just be curious. But you did kind of already answer that question for Mexico City. Do you feel that across the the country more broadly? I mean, I feel really safe where I am. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go wandering around Mexico alone. You know, like I wouldn't go like yeah. drive through Mexico by myself. That would be yeah. a really stupid there, thing to do. Some clear things, <laughs> there's some clear things that, that, that you do not want to do. But if you, for the most part, for the most part, it's very doable to stay safe there. Yeah, it's not it's it's not hard at all to stay safe. Like people, I feel like people in North America often have a really warped impression about Mexico. Like I've been coming here, yeah. like before I moved here, I'd been coming here for about six years. And actually, the first time I'd ever come to Sayulita was in 2006, and it was a very different town then. There really wasn't much there, and it was quite a bit more sketchy. But it was, you know, it's like. You don't go walking on the beach by yourself at night if you're a woman. That was then. Now you can you can do that safely for sure. Um, you, I mean, you have to be careful. Like you don't mess with certain people. You know, like you have to be right. careful. But I, I feel safe and and it's it's yeah. I think it's it's pretty easy to operate in Mexico safely. And I, you know, I I just you know you you make trades like i've traded right. sort of like an easy life with access to you know i don't know <laughs> vegetables <laughs> joking sort of yeah, makeup deodorant <laughs> um well, uh, no deodorant. you know no i mean i obviously like i i i access the things i need to access but it's not like you can walk out your door and and right. have whatever you want at your fingertips. Amazon Prime just flying you whatever you want within 
24 yeah. hours, literally anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> nice. It's just a bit more challenging. Well, well I appreciate I appreciate the input. Um, I, but yeah, like I love Latin group. culture. Sorry to interrupt. Like I love, I love Mexican. No, no I love Latin culture. I feel like there's so much more investment in joy and family and community. And like, you know, people have a lot less, but they're, they're having fun. You know, there's parties all the time. Yeah. Like there's like a new, like religious, there's a religious holiday, like once a month and a religious holiday means like, party and you'd like decorate the whole town and like the cowboys come out on their horses and there's banda everywhere and like you know i feel like people in vancouver are like not only not invested in fun but like against having fun (laughs) i feel like nobody wants to do anything fun ever everyone's (laughs) so disconnected it seems to me even where i'm at i'm not even in vancouver i'm about an hour and a half away in a small city called chilliwack but but even here it's just compared to other places I've been to, like in India, there's just so much more of a community. It's like everybody seems to be in it together. There's a a strong sense of interconnection. And some of that comes from the religiosity and the spirituality for sure in places like India. But but here, everyone is just kind of living in their own unit that's separate from everything else. And and sometimes it's even hard to like initiate communication between neighbors (laughs) and whatnot. Everybody's just living their own siloed life yeah yeah it's really really depressing and on like when i talk to my friends back in vancouver they all seem depressed and i don't think they even realize that they're depressed because they're so used to this life and they're so trapped within their own bubbles in real life and on social media that they i don't think they even realize that things are different elsewhere that they don't have to that or that things could be different i think that people in vancouver are really scared of change to be honest they're really inflexible and i think you know like i think it's healthy to like shake yourself out of your comfort zone for sure like on a regular basis and i think a lot of people have just gotten really really comfortable in their lives and their bubbles and are scared to leave those lives and bubbles but also don't even realize how that life is hurting them psychologically and and probably physically you know i don't i don't think it's a super healthy lifestyle to be honest uh before i hang up the one thing i if you get the chance megan uh you should check out my that it's it's okay cool i love you are now but on the other coast i've been there a handful of times it's it's uh it's awesome. It's it's a much warmer. It's closer to the the jungle or the tropical climate, but it's super safe, super fun. The people are awesome. Oh, cool! Um, I'm in the jungle uh, and, here, so it's probably sort of similar. Oh, nice. So probably really hot there. and humid and full of bugs. <laughs> exactly. It's it's right at the the northern tip of the Yucatan Peninsula, and it's oh, a, cool! Uh, it's an awesome spot. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. There's um, so many more parts of Mexico I want to explore. I'm going to San Miguel this weekend, which I know is nice. very beautiful. So I'm pretty excited about that. We have some friends who just moved there. So we're going to go visit them for the weekend. So, but yeah, there's so many parts of Mexico that I want to go to. So thanks for the recommendation. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I appreciate all that you do and uh, wish you all the best. Cool. Thank you so much. Okay. Two other things I want to talk about. Okay, so Rob, I hate to yes. interrupt you, but I actually I have to get off this call real soon because I have training at five. Um, sure. I have a boxing trainer here, so I actually have to run out of my house. I hate to I th- no I worries. hate to cut off the call. I sort of uh, I assumed that we'd be like an hour, but it sounds like we could talk for probably another hour. So, but I'm happy to come on and talk to you again or more sure. at any time if you want me to come back. I yeah. feel really bad that I have to take off because I know that there's there's a lot more to talk about here. No worries. Yeah, no, let, let's do it again for sure. I, I I want to talk more about just being a self-employed writer and what that's been like because that's kind of the direction that I'm going in. And you've obviously been at it far longer than I have. So I wanted to okay. learn, just learn more about that. So yeah, let's let's bookmark that for, for next time. But, okay, right on. Yeah, I'm yeah. totally happy to talk to you about that. I mean, I don't know that I have a ton of great advice. It's just a fucking slog. Like you just hustle for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you just the trick is to just keep doing it. And that that's the, the hard thing. Yeah. 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 And it's hard because often you'll do it you'll do it for a long time before things really get going in terms of being able to make a living and form an audience. Sometimes it happens quicker for some people than for other people. 
But, you know, you seem to be doing well. You're a really good writer. You're a good journalist. So I think you'll be fine. Some people spend their lives trying to be writers and they're not good writers. So it's not going to happen for them. And I know that sounds sad, but sad, but true. Some people like being a writer is a really hard thing to do. And everybody thinks they can do it. But that's not true. There's not a lot of people who are actually good at writing and, and willing to like, yeah, keep doing it for not very much money or for, you know, I worked for free for a long time (laughs) before I started to get paid. Right. Like, Mm. but, but you seem to be doing great. So just keep going and keep working at it. And I think you'll be totally fine. I think you'll do well, but yeah, Yeah. let's talk again. I'm I'm sorry again that I got to run. No worries. No worries. Yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah. Okay. Good to have you on. Best of luck. Keep uh, enjoying Mexico. I might have to Mm. come there at some point and check it out. Oh, you should. Mexico is amazing. It's it's the best. I I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You, cool. And you seem to be a lot happier, by the way. You seem to really like it there. Like from you know, listening to you on Rogue and listening to you now. Like I'm, I'm glad you've you found a place where where you can call home and where you feel connected to other people. It, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I am really happy. I mean, it's like like I said, there's challenges. There's always. I mean, there's always going to be challenges in life. But like, I'm. I'm super, you know, like this is, I'm 42 years old and I'm the happiest that I've ever been. This is like, this has been one of the best years of my whole life. And I've never, you know, I've been relatively happy for much of my life, (laughs) but, but yeah, it's, it's great. So anyway, yeah. That's awesome. Great. All right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 All right. Well, that was Megan Murphy. Good talking to her. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll see you next time.